0: Church, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse. Uh, part of just a wonderful team here, and uh, it's it's just a blessing to uh, be a part of what God is doing here. I, I want to share a few things with you here in a few moments, but um, Brad is going to do an announcement on some of the outreach stuff. I don't know how many of you may or may not know, but in addition to worship and some of the IT stuff, Brad wears a lot of hats around here. One of the things he helps coordinate is all of our um, outreach to the community, different uh, ways that we reach out. Uh, into Truckee and outside of the church and all that. So he's going to share an opportunity with you uh, in that regard. So Brad, go ahead. and
1: Yeah, thanks, friends. Hey, in your bulletin, you guys received one of these cards. Everybody get a card? Can you guys put it up and wave it, fan yourself? Maybe you're hot. Um, the idea behind this, you guys, is Engage 2021, that we come out of 2020 and we have been isolated. We've been se- secluded. You haven't seen your neighbor in six months. You walk into the store and nobody wants to make eye contact Um, The list can go on and on and on. But the idea behind this, you guys, is that we are, um, I'm teaming up with our our missions board, and the idea is that you now are a local uh, missionary to Truckee. And if you look on this card, there's three sections. There's church, community, and culture. Church-wise, if you even look around the room, there's probably many faces that you do not recognize. And the idea and thought is for the church aspect of being a missionary to our church is that you are welcoming to our new friends, our guests, um, maybe new converts, new believers. And the second one is community. Community-wise, like we have friends and family that are all over the community, your neighbors, um, businesses, uh, the grocery store clerk. Uh, you are reaching out and engaging intentionally to people maybe you normally wouldn't or maybe in people that you interact with daily. The last one is culture. Culture Culture-wise, we're all involved in culture in some way or another, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're online, Instagram. You go to concert in the park. Uh, The idea is that you are a missionary on those platforms. So what I've done on the backside here, there's some action points that this will be a reminder. Hang this on your fridge. Put it on your car. That you are thinking intentionally on somebody that you can engage weekly with. Maybe somebody that um, you need to invite on a walk or a cup of coffee with. Um, at the info booth, there is a sign-up sheet. The sign-up sheet basically is, is for you and me to be accountable to each other. So I am going to be kind of like your, your vision caster, but ultimately calling you and asking you, hey, what's God doing in your midst this week? Um, have you seen fruit from you being a missionary to Truckee this this month? And then we can bounce ideas off of that. So if any of this stirs your heart, let's get on mission for him. Let's see people get saved. People hear the good news of the gospel and uh, let's do it together as a team. Amen. All right, thank you, Brad. <clears throat>
0: um, if you are If you are new and you're getting connected, we have new people literally coming every single week. Uh, people have moved into the area, and uh, yeah we 're growing, which is great. If you are new and you want to get more connected with our church, we are on all social media all of all of that stuff. but uh, on our web page there's a place to sign up for our newsletter, or in the bulletin that you have that you were handed fill that out, and uh, that'll sign you up for our newsletter as well. We don't spam you. We don't use that to, like, you know, keep sending you stuff. We send out one every week, and it just tells you everything that's going on. It's highly visual, uh, and it just lets you know what's happening with, with everything we're doing as a church. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have one, uh, Al and uh, the guys would love to uh, hand you a Bible. Just keep your hand up if you want to read along um, from Luke chapter 24, which is where we're going to be this morning. Um, and, uh, one other thing, if you could put the SO, so slide on there for me, because I don't know if my slides are out of order, and then I'll probably take control after that. Um, we are supporting sow ministries. Most of you have heard about them now for, uh, for several years. I grew up with Travis. Uh, he's in Mexico. They, Long story short, they're building an orphanage in Mexico to house babies in Mexico, and we've been supporting them for quite a while. They're building this house, and one of the things we've done is out to my left your right. Uh, just outside of that wall is a place you can buy some material for uh, the baby house, uh, above and beyond what you normally give. And just so far, just so you know, our church alone in the last two months has raised over fifty thousand dollars for So Ministry. So that's pretty pretty incredible. Um, now we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson this morning as we talk about um, Jesus and the resurrection and all of that I just I just want to remind everyone I actually it's not even a reminder as much as it is a little bit of uh, an insight this is Easter of last year so you see that box on the right or the left there that's what I was preaching to Um, now there's if you can see there's actually a camera there that's all I was preaching to the only thing that I could really hear was the sound booth trying to make sure the internet connection was working and all of that. Um, but, you know, the good news is, is that we had over a 1,000 views on YouTube alone last Easter, which is pretty incredible. Um, but I preached to a camera in a, in a room with nobody in it, super awkward, very uh, just different, very, it was hard, it, it, to be honest with you, uh, very hard. I, I don't want to go back to that moment. I have no intention of ever going back to that moment. Preaching in an empty room to a camera is a very surreal experience. We did it for several months, actually, as, as most of you know, uh, before we, we went outside. And um, But look at around the room this morning. What a difference. Yeah. And the first service was was just as packed. Uh, so God is in our midst, and he's doing something really unique, and it's beautiful. In fact, they, they just share a story with you as we... Before we dive in, and I'll tie this picture into the message a little bit. Um, Siobhan, who owns uh, the wagon train in Truckee, we hired her. Tim uh, actually uh, did it for an event that we put on a few months back uh, on government. And it was basically a biblical view on the three forms of government that God has put in place. The three forms being... Uh, marriage is a type of government The church is a type of government And then civil government And what God says about all of those things So it was a, a great time together And Tim hired Siobhan to cater the event uh, For for the evening And, and fed, fed us some great food And um, she, I spoke with her She was in the first service really, Just beautiful, almost in tears I know she was in tears on Friday She said she was here at church uh, this morning And she said she hasn't been in church in, in, She can't even remember the last time what? Are you in here? Oh, you're in here. There's Siobhan. Were you in the first, were you in the first one too? You just came back for two rounds. All right. That's awesome. So Siobhan's here and, and, um, and man, she, she, uh she was sharing with me. She said, when she came to that event, she said, I know there's all these Bible studies that have been at the wagon train over the years. And, and, and then when I came here and I saw the kids and I see the people, she's like, these are all the people who eat at my restaurant. And and then she shared this. She said, you know what? Uh, last year was tough. We're, we're probably not going to make any money for the year, but because of this church, she says, I'm going to the next year without debt. That's incredible. <laughs> um, man, it's just so good. It's so good. And if you look at the contrast of last year, this year, and and I just want to share with you, and, and I think Siobhan uh, would, would express the the same, like, I think you might have even said to, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, uh, to one of the guys, uh, Jesus basically has kept my store open, uh, which is really cool. And, and because we're living life and we're living in faith, uh, and it's incredible. And each week, I mean, I'll give you another one. I got a bunch, okay? This is happening every week. Uh, I forgot the gentleman's name in the first service, which is pretty hilarious because I, I like a good golden rotisserie burrito. Anybody, anybody else like a golden? Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, tri-tip is for me. And so uh, I go in there, and there's a gentleman in there. There's a gentleman in there that, uh, you know, he checks me out almost every time. He's in there, uh, and someone from the church invited him to Sierra Bible Church several weeks ago, uh, and, and he's been coming ever since uh, to church, which is really incredible. Uh, he said, this is nothing like Catholic Church. And, and he loves it. He's like, this is so great. And I couldn't remember his name, and I asked one of the guys in the room, I said, what was his name? And he said, Jesus, <laughs> here's your sign, right? Like, dude, I should have I known and didn't, and, uh, but man, there, there's just new people every, every week. I'm going to share a couple more here. But, so what we did um, in, uh, in for Easter, one of the things that we do anytime we, we go through a series, we try to create a theme to just make it tangible, touchable, holdable, memorable, hopefully. And so we chose Rock of Ages and as a theme. Uh, And some of you may not be aware of where "Rock of Ages" came from. There's a uh, when you walked in, there's a beautiful hand painting uh, that was done by one of our guys here at the Church of uh, Rock of Ages. I'll show you a picture of it. But before I do, um, "Rock of Ages" was uh, basically a a hymn that 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 was written during the 1700s uh, by a gentleman by the name of Augustus Toplady. And Augustus basically found himself in a storm. There was lightning and there was rain, and it was very chaotic. Uh, there were waves, and, and he ended up hiding himself inside a cleft of a rock, and, and essentially it saved him from the storm. Now, while he was in the storm, he found, I don't know if it was in his pockets or if it was on the ground, uh, and, you know, trying to be clear on the, the legend that is with this story, uh, but he found a, uh, a card, uh, like an ace of spades or something like that, but it was a playing card, and he wrote a hymn on the playing card. Which is really incredible because in the seventeen hundreds it was actually considered by the church, and he was a clergyman. It was considered by the church to, to you know to play with cards or to have cards. It was like a major sin, it was a major no no so like no gambling in jesus' name, there's none of that right um, and if you're in Reno every week, we'll talk about that a little later, but so so He hides himself inside the cleft of of the rock, and this is what he writes on the playing card. He wrote a hymn, and the hymn, one of the lines in it is this. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look at thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Uh, He wrote this beautiful song. It it went out, and then a 100 years later, a guy by the name Johannes Ortel. Now that's not Jim Matthias. Okay, for those of you who know Jim, that's not Jim Matthias. But Jim Matthias painted a version of this outside, and I think it's funny they both. They both. It looks like it could be Jim's dad. Um, and this is this is the original. What you see up here is the original uh, original painting, which has been redone countless times. Uh, I we couldn't I couldn't even tell you how many there. It's just been redone so many different times. It's also become a super popular tattoo, okay. Very, very popular uh, tattoo. So, if you're thinking of getting one, it makes for a radical back piece, okay. Just do it. Um, <laughs> Psalm 18, Psalm, Psalm 18, verse 2 says this in regards to the idea, the picture you're seeing here, which is quite incredible, is that the cross represents Jesus, of course, it represents the Savior. It represents the rock that we cling to, that we hold to. And the woman actually represents the church. Uh, in the midst of trial and travail and persecution and the church uh, or us as people, we cling to that rock as salvation, as a place of hope. And Psalm 18 too says about God, says about Jesus, that he is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer. It goes on and says, he is my God and my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, he is my stronghold. Jesus is the rock. The idea here is that, that we're to cling to him in the midst of craziness. I think it's kind of interesting to, to take the metaphorical picture of what we've seen literally in the communication of the last year uh, with the CDC and all of that, that, that we're entering into the first wave of the virus and then the second wave of the virus and then the third wave of the virus and now supposedly the, the fourth wave wave of the virus. We're just kind of being slammed about all over the place. And I'm sure uh, in the season, you maybe have asked the question, what do I cling to? What kind of ground do I stand on? Uh, what do I lean in on? What, what am I supposed to be doing uh, a, a, with my life in this regard? And, and we know, we know like statistically, 100% without a doubt, we know that depression is at an all-time high. Addiction is at an all-time high. Medical uh, use for, for depression, all of those things, all of that stuff, alcohol addiction. Pornography, all of that, all of those things that decay society that say we're not doing well, all of those things are at an all-time high. And yet, we see that we're to be clinging to something clinging to Christ. Now, when I was a kid, I hate to admit this to you, but I'm going to, um, I used to, when I, w- when I was younger, it, as, as a source of comfort, um, I used to have a little silk blanket and I called it my kiki. Yeah. So, don't think less of me. Please don't don't think I'm less of a man, um, but my my stepfather who raised me I can't remember what age it was I'd like to say it was four but it was probably more like eight or ten, um, <laughs> told me I had to get rid of the kiki I had to get rid of it, um, and, and and but that was that source of comfort for me uh, when I was a kid it was something that I used uh, to kind of just help cope with whatever was happening, and so what do you, what have you clung to really in the last year I know for many of you it's been uh, your faith I think. When we first closed, when I show you that picture, uh, it was pretty incredible. There was a few a few rebel rousers in the church that just refused to not come. So we were closed. There was nobody in here. And, and then after a short period of time, people would literally come to the church, and we couldn't turn them away and, and, and because they knew, like, I need Jesus. I need the church. I need people. And now here we are. Now, this rock of ages that is Christ, we can't obviously— you know, communicate Easter without communicating to some degree the cross that is in the picture. The reality that, that, that Jesus, who is God, died on the cross. And the last thing that the people of his day really saw Christ, as Christ when he was hanging on the cross was that he was some kind of source of salvation. That was like the last thing as he's dying on the cross, as he's placed in the tomb, uh, that anyone was thinking, you know what, hey, this guy's going to be the Savior of the world. And to a degree, they had lost hope in who Jesus was. In fact, the the, the murder on the cross, and it was a murder, when Jesus died on the cross, the, the word excruciating, when it comes to pain, excruciating pain, uh, literally means from the cross. We, we have a, our own word for pain, a new word for pain that has been drawn out of the cross. What he experienced on the cross was excruciating. There was not only the physical torment, but the additional spiritual and mental torment, taking on, as the Bible would say, the sins of the world, our guilt and our shame and our ugliness, all of those things. Now, imagine here for a moment, you've walked with this man uh, for, for three years. You've seen him uh, do miracles. You've seen him do some amazing things. He's healed people, and, and he's built relationships with, with people that, that every, all the rest of the church at the day, the, the, the Jewish synagogue was saying, he's, he's friends of sinners and he's a drunkard, and, and he's hanging out with tax collectors, and he's even talking to prostitutes. Like, what's wrong with this guy? And yet Jesus is befriending these individuals. He's taking tax collectors out of, out of their old lifestyle into a new life. He took the common fishermen, which is what the disciples were, just regular blue-collar dudes, and he brings them into a relationship with them, makes them disciples, does that with uh, women as well and lame, and, and he's just doing incredible things. And then all of a sudden... Uh, he, we see that he's arrested and he is taken away and he is put on trial all kinds of illegal trials that should not have occurred in the darkness and it is decided that he is going to die. And he dies on the cross and he is placed in a tomb and he is laid there to rest, perceivably forever. Now, we come to Luke 24. If you would go to verse 1 of 24, and I'm just going to read pieces of the chapter you can outline uh, Luke t- uh, 24 in this way. And this is, we're gonna, this morning, we're just gonna take a journey uh, from the tomb to the road, to the room, and then to the mount, okay? That's kind of my four points this morning. The tomb, the road, the room, the mount. So we come to the tomb, verse one twenty four. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them, dazzling in apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? and they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of, of James, and the other women with them who held these things, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose to the tomb, stooping down, looked in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. I just want you to see something. This is as we stop in the tomb, the first point is you you need to believe, you should believe, you must believe in the resurrection of Jesus as a historical event. It's a, a radical historical event. I want to show you a few things uh, that show us that that it was a historical event to be, to be believed. Now, first of all, there's the literary uh, history here. That understanding that when books like this were written, that that when names were listed like they were here, and there's other places in the Bible. Uh, where it it literally says, uh, these individuals are still alive. You can go back to this city, and you can go talk to them, and they can tell you what they've seen. Uh, Jesus was seen as resurrected by these women first, and so the names are listed. The first reason that we know it's a historical event, the the names are listed so that we could go talk to these people and say, did you really see that this tomb was empty? Uh, The second thing, which is very ironic, is the fact that in this particular document, this historical document that we have that we call the Bible, it says, okay, these women were there. Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. It literally says, if you want to go talk to somebody, go talk to these women. Go, go speak to these gals. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but it really is. Because the last thing you would do in Jesus' day to, to start a, a historical event, let alone to start basically what would seem to be a new religion— is put women at the center of the story, at the center of the testimony. Uh, and the reason for it is that according to Jewish law, uh, the testimony of a woman was not to be believed. Yet here we see in the Bible, these women are being listed as evidence. And, and here's one of the ways we know that this is a real event because the Bible isn't in here saying, we've got to protect uh, tradition. We've got to protect that men are, are, are the ones that you listen to. The only reason that it makes any sense that the women are listed is because that is literally, the, that, that's how it happened. The ladies were there. And can we just say, give a shout-out to the girls? They're always the first ones to come to Jesus, aren't they? They are. They're the first ones to the cross. They're the first ones to the tomb. They're the first ones to serve. And then the dudes kind of get dragged along, right? Some of you are here this morning, and you've been dragged along, and you're here. And I'm glad you're here. And as I told the first service, if at some point you've, you feel or believe that I'm trying to convert you or change your belief, uh, it's because I am. Okay, 100%. You should put your faith in this Jesus that we're talking about this morning. So you have the names of the people are listed. You have that these women are, are, are the main testimony. And then the third one, which is quite crazy, is the last people, the last people on earth to be open to the idea that a human being could be God would be Jews. The last people on the, on the planet would be the ones to say, yeah, we're going to believe that Jesus is God. Remember, the Jewish people couldn't even say God's name aloud, let alone spell it out. So this idea that this guy is, is God, he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, was just outlandish. It would have been outlandish for the Jews to believe. Yet, yet we know without a shadow of a doubt that Christianity came out of Judaism. It's a continuation of Judaism and Many of these Jews ended up giving their faith to Christ and many of them were willing to die for it. Some of them in the same way that Jesus was. Now, uh, one pastor says in regards to, um, we'll get to that here in a moment, regards to the resurrection, says the resurrection was not preached in the early church as a symbolic representation of a wonder, higher spiritual truth like we must always keep hope. The resurrection was preached as a hard, bare, terribly irritating, irritating paradigm shattering horribly inconvenient but impossible to dismiss fact we could be more we should be more sympathetic to our skeptical friends the resurrection makes christianity the most irritating religion on the face of the earth why because because our prophet is not dead right we don't have a mecca you know that right we don't need to make a spiritual journey we don't have a mecca to visit we don't have a temple why because when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you become that temple, right? We know that the church is not a building. The church is the people, right? And so, so this reality is offensive. And what happens is, is that when people hear it for the first time, how can you believe in a resurrected Jesus? Well, I think the evidence is there. Uh, there's a great small book if you're looking um, to give somebody or if you're looking to read something uh, by a gentleman by the name of Lee Strobel. He has a book called The Case for Easter. Uh, and it's basically just a whole rundown of how we can believe without even, even really putting our, our our faith in faith, but reading the evidence of the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, here's what happens when people start maybe initially coming to church. It's happened in this last year. Okay, so what's been incredible about, about this season for us is that, that you who love Jesus are coming every week. And I love it. I absolutely love it. In addition to that, people are now coming every week who have never had a relationship with Jesus, who, who've never walked with Jesus, and they're beginning to put their faith in Jesus. It's an incredible thing to be a part of. But inevitably, what happens with Christianity, everybody wants to go down these different roads, right? They, they don't want to talk about Jesus' resurrection. They, they, they want to, wait a minute, I'm, I'm kind of offended by what the Bible says about money. I don't really like what it says about money and, being, uh, and giving to the church and things like that. I don't, I don't like that. You know what? I don't like what the Bible says about sex. I don't like what it has to say about that. Or gender identity or any of those things. I think the Bible's too narrow. I don't like churches. I've heard people over the years, if I walk into the building, the building's gonna burn down. We're still here. We do need a new building, though. (laughs) But don't burn it down, seriously. This is on tape and and insurance will find it. But we do need a new building. We're packed every week. You realize this, don't you? We're literally at complete capacity every single week. Uh, But I digress. Okay. It's too narrow. I don't like the church. I don't like pastors. They're weird. Uh, I was in the gym yesterday for the first time in like six months. Yeah. I am incredibly weak, by the way. I I want you to know I am a former shell of a man. Someone lend me a kiki and I'll be okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. And, not, and I mentioned the gym because, because as, as the gal was touring me, she knew that I was a pastor. She was asking me all kinds of questions about the church, and, and she was looking at me weird. And, 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 I, and I said, hey, we're, we're we're busy. And she said, are you busy because you're open? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> we're open. And so that's what people may say. Now, now just, just for a moment, especially if you're here this morning and you're wondering, you know, should I put my faith in Jesus? Is it worth putting my faith in Jesus? Put all of uh, that stuff aside. All of the side eddies, all of the different little arguments, all the different roads that people like to take. All you really need to talk about at all is whether or not Jesus lived and whether or not he he died and whether or not he rose again from the dead. Uh, One pastor actually says it this way. He says, if Jesus was raised from the dead, you're gonna have to deal with everything in the Bible. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, I don't know why you're vexing yourself over all the other stuff, right? There are people literally, so one of the things that we do uh, to get the word out for, for the church. You know, we're on all the social media stuff, and so we do social media whatnots. And for an event like Easter, we, we do promo stuff. And I don't know if, if you know how this works, but there's all kinds of algorithms that are behind the scenes trying to make you believe things that you don't want to believe. And so we're trying to use those algorithms for Jesus to get you to church. And and so what happens is the, the slides for Easter go out to anybody and everybody, church or not. And some one of the tags for our Easter promo was, Come find out about the historical event of Jesus rising from the dead. And someone wrote on there uh, with a bunch of laughing emoji faces, uh, how can you call it historical when nobody can prove it? Uh, and so they are immediately like, hey. And so I got on there, and I was like, check out this book, yo. And he didn't respond back. So because <laughs> he's not going to read a book, right? He just doesn't want to believe in Jesus. But the reality is all we need to discuss is whether or not he rose from the dead. And the reality is is that this resurrection was so offensive. You've got the apostle Paul, who became an apostle, but before that was a Pharisee, so he was a Judaizer, and he was literally murdering Christians, okay? He was breathing threats against the church. He was bounding them, taking them to Jerusalem, and he was murdering them. And it wasn't until Jesus showed up on the scene, just appears to, to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, this guy who was killing Christians, becomes a Christian, okay? That's incredible, that's incredible, absolutely incredible. So here's here's the two things I want you to see. Number one, the resurrection and the death of Christ is 100% real, and there are facts to be laid out for you to see it, however, however, let us us also be clear on this point. You can't believe, you won't believe unless Jesus illuminates your eyes. I can give you all the facts in the world, I can give you all the historical documents. I can give you audiobooks. I can give you sermons. I can give you, can give you so much more material than you could ever think or imagine. It's not going to be enough because ultimately it has to be the Holy Spirit that opens up your eyes. There's a gal. I don't want to put her on the spot. I know I tend to do that without asking permission, and then it gets me in trouble later. And um, first of all, there's several families that—because we were open at Christmas Eve. We've got like three or four families that— haven't been to church in years, started coming on Christmas Eve. They've been coming every single week. It's just phenomenal. And there's a gal, uh, and she's, she's with us here this morning, and she's been coming to church and checking out Jesus and checking out Christianity, and, and, uh, and she came to our Good Friday service. And, and I, she's in here. I don't want to bear her. So I don't want to look out. I'll just look up. She, she's been such an incredible encouragement to me. And uh, she, she came up on the deck for Good Friday, and I asked her how she was doing. She said, really good. And, and she said, you know, I, I had an opportunity to go party with my friends, and they're going to do some drugs, and there's going to be drugs there. And I felt like a, a small voice inside me telling me not to, but to come to Good Friday, so I'm here. And she said, I'm so happy I'm here. And I said, you know, when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and he begins to speak to you. And I said, that's the Spirit talking to you. And she goes, I've never had that before I like it, right? That, that's the part of Christianity that you can't, you can't change your belief on your own. And many people think that Christianity is all about, well, it's these Ten Commandments, right? It's, it's got to be these Ten Commandments. You give me these Ten Commandments, I'll do the Ten Commandments. But the, the, ten, the, the ten Commandments, the law is there to, to explain to you and to prove to you that you can't earn your way to heaven, right? You just start with number one. Love God with all your heart, soul, your mind. Love God. I, I'm not capable of doing that. Don't covet. Don't look at a woman lustfully. All of us have done these things. None of us can earn our way to heaven. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who makes it possible for salvation. So yeah, there's a lot of offensive things in there, but ultimately we have to figure out what we're going to do with Jesus. And once the the facts are laid bare and once those facts are laid out for you or once you maybe, as you are hopefully feeling this morning, you feel Jesus speaking to your soul, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with that information? Because the reality is is once once you have to, you come to that place that Jesus has been raised from the grave, that he's died for your sins, you're going to have to change some things in your life, aren't you? And not to be a good person but to live to be that person that God has always intended you to be. Like I said, though, he, the tomb's empty. But then we pick up on the story, and so Jesus isn't in the tomb, but then all of a sudden, look at verse 13 of chapter 24. On that very day, two of them, this, these are disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said, What things? And he said to him concerning Jesus, "Now, Now, let's just stop there for a moment. These men are seven miles away from Jerusalem. These were disciples. These were men that believed that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. They believed that they, he was going to be the Savior of the world. But now Jesus has died, and they're leaving Jerusalem. There are seven miles. Okay, this is, there's no e-bikes. There's no, no e-skateboards. There's a couple of those here this morning. There, there's no, there's, there's no there's, It's walking seven miles. Do you know how long that is? It's seven miles more than you've ever walked in the last year probably. Okay, it's seven miles. And they're walking... And all of the sudden, the resurrected Jesus comes alongside of them. What are you guys talking about? And they're like, where have you been? Right? It's, it'd be no different than, than two guys walking down the road being like, dude, you see what the CDC says? You, you see what mask this and mask that and double mask this and, and wear gloves and social distance and oh my gosh. And this guy walks up and goes, what, what masks? What virus? What are you talking about? Where have you been? Right, or one comedian say he knows two types of people that exist in our world today. The, the first type are the ones who, man, the virus is scary and they're masked up and they're doing everything they can to make sure they don't get it. And they said the second group of people, uh, he says that those group of friends, they're the friends that it's like no one told them that COVID existed and they're out living life as if someone told them, this is how you go and catch it. Okay? That's all of you, by the way. <clears throat> what mask what are you talking about okay now he ends up walking with them he shows up and what he does before he reveals himself to them is he begins to tell them all of the things in the old testament all of the things in the scriptures that these men had known how it all ultimately points to the messiah and then, and only then, do the scriptures start to make sense. Okay, there's a, there's a movie that illustrates this. Maybe you've seen it. It's a movie called The Sixth Sense. Um, and, and, and I know sometimes when I give cultural references, people look at me, they're like, what? What is that? It's, it's a movie. Okay, you remember movies? We used to go to movie theaters and things like that. This one came out a long time ago when I was a kid. And basically, the whole movie is, is you think Bruce Willis is helping this kid who sees dead people, and he's helping this kid out because this kid is literally can see dead people. And then when you get to the very end of the movie, you find out what about Bruce Willis? He's dead, right? The movie doesn't make a ton of sense until you find out that he's actually dead. And if you go back and you watch the movie knowing that he's dead, the entire movie makes sense. Now the movie makes sense because I know the ending. I didn't know it in the beginning, but I know the en- Jesus is the, the key that unlocks everything else. Right? When you understand the gospel and you go, it's the resurrection, it's his death, it's his crucifixion, but it's him defeating death, everything makes sense, right? Remember when he's sitting down with his disciples, he's, he takes the Passover meal, which was a Jewish meal, and he's eating with his disciples before he goes to the cross, and, and he's breaking the bread, and he's drinking the wine, and he literally says, this bread that you're eating, that you've been eating for centuries to celebrate what you think was the exodus from Pharaoh, is actually my body broken for you. And this wine that I drink is my blood that will be shed for you. If you read the story there, literally, literally, the disciples are like, what? I'm eating your body and drinking your blood? You, right? Like, Why am I following this guy? This is weird. It's weird. But after the death and after his resurrection... Now it all makes sense. Oh, my goodness. Jesus is the true exodus, not from the grip of Pharaoh, but from sin. And Jesus is my Passover who will pass over my sins if I believe in him in faith. The exodus doesn't make sense without Jesus. Even the kings in the Old Testament don't make sense without Jesus. I don't want to read it all because I, I, I like talking too much than reading but Calvin basically said, hey, listen, if you follow the life uh, of Isaac or Joseph or Melchizedek or Moses, you're going to see that all of those stories point to who Jesus is, that he is the magnificent, triumphant King Solomon governing his kingdom in peace and prosperity. If you go back in the Old Testament and you start reading things and, and you realize it's, Je- it's all about Jesus, right? You've heard me say this before. The last thing you should ever do when you go into your Bible is read the story of King David and Goliath, Right? So you read that story and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to make that story work for me. That story's got to be for me. So, so, so what it is, is, is I'm like David and I need to find some stones of faith and those stones of faith are going to help me kill the Goliath in the land, right? So, so what, what are, like love, peace, prayer, the Bible, we get our stones and those are things we're going to kill our own Goliath. Now you're not David. Jesus is David, right? You can't beat Goliath, because Goliath is sin. Jesus is the only one who can kill Goliath. See, you're not the center of the Bible. Jesus is the center of the Bible. <clears throat> and when you get that, you then start to make sense of everything else. Right? People thought, well, the Jews thought, the Messiah is going to come, and this is what he's are going to do. Because the, the Jewish people were literally basically slaves to Rome. Right? They, and they thought, you know what's gonna happen? And we've got a lot of Christians out there who think this. If we if we get the Messiah here, the Messiah is gonna put the right government in place. And then the government's gonna fix all things, and we'll have Jesus. He's gonna come with power and might. Jesus is gonna come with power and might, and he's gonna come and save those who, who obey the Ten Commandments. Right? But that's not what they got. In fact, if you remember as Jesus was walking on the earth, Satan comes and tempts him and says, Hey, I'll give you a kingdom. And you won't have to suffer. I'll give you pleasure over pain. And Jesus knew that the only way that he was going to save broken people was to become broken himself. Right? So, so he takes on the cross, he chooses pain over pleasure. And he saves ordinary, broken human beings. Have you felt ordinary in this season? Do you feel ordinary? I feel ordinary. I don't feel extraordinary. I mean, if you wanna if you want to listen to a message that's really broken up in, in, in as far as like how to speak and not speak, just listen to my message before this one. <laughs> right? It it I dropped some some I dropped some things. I read from Luke chapter two, thinking it was Luke twenty four. Right? I just normal, broken people. He runs after those who run businesses those who work hard for their employees, those who are teachers, those who are doctors, those who are nurses, th- those of you that are in this room, it, you're here because he loves ordinary, broken people. And what's amazing is, after this, he then reveals himself, right? He reveals himself to them. They see, and they're like, oh my God! oh my gosh, that was Jesus. They go back, and they walk seven more miles back to Jerusalem. Because they know they need to be in Jerusalem. Then jump to verse 36. Chapter 24, verse 36. This is where I messed up in the last message. I'm going to get it right this time, I think. As they were talking, this is a different place. This is the room. So we went from the tomb to the road to Emmaus. Now we're in a room. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood. Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit, and he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that I myself touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. This is crazy, okay? Right? They're in a closed room. Other parts of the Gospels literally tell us that the disciples were fearful that they were going to be the next ones to be crucified. So they like barred the windows and locked the doors. These are fearful men who are in a room, they're hiding out and they're scared they're going to, they're going to have the same fate as, as Jesus and out of nowhere, who shows up? Hey guys, everyone jumps. One of my favorite things to do at the church here is scare Caleb in his office. His reactions every time are priceless. It's usually like something like this. <laughs> and then I'm his boss, and he wants to punch me, but he can't, right? There's like this tension that moves on, and you can see him go through the range of emotions from pure terror to, to, to pure anger. <laughs> I love it. And this is what Jesus does. <laughs> this is what Jesus does. He shows up in the room, and, and the disciples are like, Whoa! And they're fearful. And then he says, I love it. He's got a sense of humor. Why are you guys scared? <laughs> uh, well, because you weren't here, and now you are here, and the doors are locked. <laughs> and, then he, and then he says, and this is part of that new spiritual body that we're promised. Right? We're going to be made like him, the Bible says, in our resurrection. And, and just so we, they know, he didn't, he's not a ghost. He's like, give me some fish. Touch me and feel me. I'm here. Now, here's what's super, super awesome is that I see metaphorically some connections here that, that if, first of all, let's rejoice in the reality that there is no tomb that can hold Jesus. Okay, he is not dead and he is alive. And, and at the same time, what Jesus does is he gets on the road and he chases people to salvation. You see, here's these individuals, they're trying to walk away from what they knew, the disciples were literally were told that after Jesus died, the other disciples were like, you know what, we're going back to fishing. We've got nothing left. We're going back to fishing. Jesus finds them on the beach, speaks with them, commissions Peter to help build the church. If you're on that road and you're walking away from Jesus, maybe in the last year you have felt like you've been walking away from God. But can I just, can I just tell you that the entire time that you're walking away from him, he's always walking toward you. And he will chase you down. He will. And if you if the, if you feel like I just can't get away from God, you can't. Siobhan Sierra Bible Church is still coming to, to wagon train as often as we possibly. You probably got you're going to get some cheeseburgers sold. She hasn't closed her store in 25 years because of the hope that exists in this room. How amazing is it that God in this season of darkness that that we have been able to proclaim the rock of ages and that we've been sharing with our community in Truckee, California, we are here to support you. We're here for your thriving. We're here for your good. And it's because we believe in this person who really rose from the dead. His name is Jesus, and I want you to know him too. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Jesus is on the road, and he's making sense of the Bible. And here's the thing that's been so awesome about new people coming to faith in this season. New people, when they come to faith, they don't know what to do with this thing. I've literally had two couples, like, they're like, um, how, do, how do I teach my kids the Bible? I said, Would you read it. <laughs> Start reading it. Like, they don't, they, and they're, they're intimidated. And he, okay, so now, now I gotta go into teaching time a little bit. If you are older in the faith, you've got to be sensitive to the fact that we've got new believers in the church. And they don't know how to act. They don't know how to respond. They don't know what all the Bible's all about. And we're not super worried about them knowing the entire Bible. We're just really super worried about them knowing the entire Jesus. The Bible stuff will come, okay? So, so you've got to be careful for, for my friends that are, have been in the room year after year. Don't expect Christians when they first come to faith to know everything because they don't. And the moment that you think that they should know more You've just proved you don't know any more than they know. You with me? Okay, so we'll close up here in just a moment. So he comes after the ordinary. He runs after them. He's on the road, but he's in the room. <laughs> I mean, even though, and see if I can make this work this this time. Oh, it's working now. Great. I This was the most depressing Sunday for me, probably in the history of leading church, being part of just... Oh, during that season, I've shared this with you. I, I I put on close to thirty-five pounds. No, it wasn't on purpose. They like say COVID nineteen or what? Or it's the COVID nineteen. The you know no, it was the COVID forty. Now now I've leaned out some by by God's grace by working hard, but a big part of it was is mental exhaustion. After the service, about five of us in the room, we stood outside that door. We looked at one another, said, Happy Easter, and we went home. You know, I look back though, even though that room was empty with people, Jesus was in that room. Jesus was in last year. He was. And if you look back, I mean, seriously, there is no resurrection without death. And some of what was in the church last year, needed to die so we could be doing the things that we're doing now. There there needed to be a death. Some things had to just go away. I mean, we literally just cut all the fat. You know what? We're just going to preach. We're going to do these. And here's what's so amazing. The church is busting at the seams. People are coming every week. People are getting saved. We're doing the same darn thing this year we did four years ago. You know what's different? The culture's different. And it's realizing now more than ever it needs a greater hope then the CDC, then the WHO, then Democrat or Republican. We need a king whose name is Jesus. And he shows up in the room. You guys are really excited this morning. love it. He shows up in the room, and then we close the passage like this, verse 50. Then he, then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he, he parted from them, and he was carried into the heaven. And they worship him, and then they return to Jerusalem with great joy. Remember, they had fear. They had fear, now they have joy. What a contrast. No longer fear, but great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. So he's not in the tomb. He may be chasing you on the road. He may meet you in isolation in the room. But one thing that we leave with this morning is he is on the mount. He is in heaven, and he is the only true King. As the worship team comes up and we sing another celebratory song to remind ourselves again that this is the true rock of ages. We hide ourselves in the cleft of Christ to be saved for freedom, to be saved, to know God, to be known by God to be saved for soul expansion, to be saved for real community, and to be saved to be a part of his mission to share his message. Let me just close with a few, few just small thoughts, okay? Small thoughts, but big implications. The first one would be, some of you are just now starting to trickle back into church. Whether it's because uh, you've you know we've got a device in here, I don't know if you know that or not, but we've got a device that literally... Um, attaches to all Particles, kills them Makes them heavy and they fall to the ground Like You basically You, you can hear diseases dying Right now if you listen real carefully you... ah. <laughs> um, Here's the thing the, the, As the church grows The church needs you we need the church. Oh thank you That's good and um, you're part of a vibrant community, and, and we want you to really, truly be a part of it. And then the last one would be you know, as I said, there's new people coming to faith every week. And maybe today's the day that, that you're like, you know what? I need, I need this. I need Jesus. And I love hearing things like that. I need the church. But you only need the church because the church represents Jesus. You don't need me, you don't need the building, you need a Savior. More than anything, you need a savior, And because Jesus is above and beyond gracious, he gives us a room. He gives us a place to worship. And and we're doing the best we can here to accommodate all of you. You know what's really amazing? We made a few comments about those of you who regularly come parking across the street. We worked out a deal with uh, the business over here, the chiropractor. We can park over there on Sundays. So businesses are giving us favor and stuff. It's incredible. Like, the room is totally full but yet that upper parking lot is completely empty because you guys are so awesome, you all parked (laughs) off-site. That just trips me out. Like you're getting it. And it's so good. And it's good because Jesus is good. So would you stand with me as I pray for you? Lord, thank you that, um, thank you that you're good to us. Thank you that you Lord, have encouraged this church to be what you desire it to be. And thank you for the ways in which it is blessing the community. And Lord, I pray as we bless the community that that the community knows we don't want anything in return. But we do hope that they would come and put their faith in you. Lord, we don't want to take from them. We want to give to them. Lord, thank you that you, Lord, are no longer in the empty tomb. And thank you, Lord, that our room is no longer empty either. But It's filled with people and it's filled with your spirit and we just say thank you for it. As we leave here, Lord, would you allow us to leave as the text says, not in fear, but in great, tremendous joy. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. He is risen.